Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built. And we are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod, Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who knows good coaching when he sees it, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? You know, I was relatively blessed in my uh, early career that my dad coached, uh, coached me in football and in, in baseball, the things he was best at he even coached me in basketball which was not uh, necessarily his his sport of choice he grew up north i'd say maybe ice hockey was his uh his third <laughs> he used to play on the pond he also coached me in soccer which he didn't know a thing about man it's just a great coach in in addition to many accolades but yes i know some good coaches i've i've, I've talked to some good coaches over my life i've been coached by some good coaches interviewed some good coaches i got to interview greg popovich once so i know a good coach when i see one so i'll, I'll i will i will just do this podcast by myself then Joe. I'm kidding. You are the Lamborghini dealership or sponsorship to to my Bijan. You know, you, you the yin to the yang. Is that a black joke? No, we're uh, we're gonna talk a little bit of coaching today. There's a conversation on the internet earlier this week that we wanted to to dive in on a little bit and just kick the tire, kick the kick the can back and forth and see uh, what we got, what we thought about. We've also got some uh, burn orange lenses as uh, there's a lot of things just tying up uh, this last week. So we'll do that. We'll obviously close the show out with some Godzilla Tron. So earlier this week and in, as the Arch Manning recruitment continues to swirl around, there's always this conversation around, you know, Sark and, and his record of coaching quarterbacks and Sark and his abilities as a as a developer of quarterbacks and AJ Milwe being kind of his uh, Robin seems like a like dege- like not a, a it seems like an insult but it's not really meant to be he's a quarterback coach and, and quality control former quality control guy who's learning from the best uh, one of the best in the game and so the conversation really becomes for Texas and for Sark you know this legacy of developing quarterbacks and that being a selling point for him. He's got not one, not two, not three, not four, not even five, but six first round quarterbacks drafted under his tutelage, whether it was as a quarterback coach, an offensive coordinator, or really just as a quarterback coach and an offensive coordinator uh, from his time at USC and his time in Alabama. Now, some of that has to do with the level of talent that both of those programs are bringing in, but I'll just say Kyle and I know firsthand uh, that being able to coach a five-star and get the most out of that five-star is just as important as uh, landing the five-star. Because again, we've been Texas fans for 20-ish years and we've seen the five-star go right. Vince Young, we've seen the five-star go wrong. Garrett Gilbert, who again, was good enough and talented enough to end up in the NFL in spite of flaming out of Texas. You're absolutely right. That I think there's a thing with with Sark that it's, it's fun to watch what he can do with really high-end talent um it's almost kind of fun when you look back at his career to see what he can do with medium and talent and I, i'm not ready to to put any you know any aspersions cast upon casey thompson but i, I don't know that he necessarily equates as favorably to uh, tua or 
Carson Palmer and Matt Liner, right? I think he has some upside, has some things, but you, we'll talk about a little bit about the guys Sarkis coach, and I'm, I'm happy to go a little deeper on each of them uh, as we roll through. Um, but I, I think, you know, for him, key is he has his most success. It doesn't have to be a quarterback who can sling the ball 90 yards. It's nice, you know, Quinn Ewers might have the single best arm talent out of looking through the the, the quarterbacks that he's he's coached, like legitimately might. Um, Carson Palmer is, is probably right there too, but uh, certainly not Matt Liner anywhere. But And that's that's not a knock on, on Liner. He knew what he could do. That's what made him so good. He played within himself a lot like uh, Mac Jones. But um, but yeah, it, it's kind of funny because Jake Locker is the outlier in, in that, that. And we'll, we'll talk about each of these, but in that Sark likes a guy who can process kind of quickly, make the quick reads, get the ball out. You know, he before kind of the modern super duper spread, he was early in his career really six Successful with play action because he had a good running game quarterbacks who could sell and then quickly get the ball to the right guy make those those reads correctly um so it, we'll talk about it but it's interesting about the things that you see in successful start quarterbacks in in his system over the years and how his systems evolved um but the one thing i would say is is he's beloved by college teams that when he is on your team and he maximizes the production. He's probably despised by, you know, NFL scouts and probably opposing fans, <laughs> right? I mean, you think about if you spent a fifth overall pick on Mark Sanchez or a 10th on Matt Leinart or, you know, an eighth overall pick in the first round on Jake Locker. Sark has gotten a lot of guys a lot of money um, that they probably shouldn't have and wouldn't have earned uh, without him. So, um, you know, it, it'll be curious to see if he, he could earn a guy some money who who earned it, right? Who had the talent and it wasn't just Sark <laughs> making him look unbelievably good. So let's let's talk through it, Gerald. Let's let's run through some of these guys and, and talk a little bit about, you know, kind of the seasons they had and what Sark was able to do. First of all, Jake Locker is probably not a Sark is frustrating people, but more a uh, the Tennessee Titans were really bad for a really long time, <laughs> um, especially at drafting people. And that's just, again, uh, another conversation for another day. But yeah, so at, at USC from 01 to 06 as the quarterback coach uh you mentioned Carson Palmer number one overall pick pretty solid NFL career Matt Leinert uh 10th overall pick in the first round uh when he jumped up to the offensive coordinator uh John David Booty in the fifth round and then Mark Sanchez as the fifth overall player selected uh went to Washington uh as the head coach there and if you remember everybody knocks him for not hitting 500 to Washington they won like one game the two before years he before he got yep. there um Jake Locker as the eighth pick overall and then Keith Price as an undrafted free agent uh 2014 and 2015 he uh can't really count all of 2015, but I had Cody Kessler drafted in the third round. And then when he came back to the college ranks to Alabama, we all know Tua Tagovailoa, uh, the fifth overall pick to the Miami Dolphins, and Mac Jones, the 15th overall pick to the New England Patriots. So a, a, a te- there's a record there. There's a uh, conversation there. If Texas has a knock for not getting guys to the draft, which rightfully so, the head guy has a reputation for getting guys to the NFL draft, at least for the quarterback position. Yeah, and especially early early on in the draft, read a lot of first rounders there. That's pretty, like when you look at it in totality, it's pretty impressive. Gerald, did you, like, it, the reason maybe people thought Sark would just crush it in year one may have been because when you go all the way back to to year one, when you look at that USA team, Carson Palmer, if you can think all the way back to like the turn of the century, um, Carson Palmer was a bust. He was a college bust. Like people thought, oh, this guy has a lot of talent, but he's a bust. He had 
as many interceptions as touchdowns in his first three years. He had 39 touchdowns and 39 interceptions. That's a lot. That's a lot of interceptions. That's a, that's a one-to-one ratio, Kyle. I don't know if you, if you can do the math. That's, that's good in some things. That's, that's, there's certain <laughs> things we'd love a one-to-one ratio. Um, teacher to student. I could think of many. Um, but uh, you, you, you probably don't want that for your quarterback. So one year uh, of Sark's offense, Palmer just exploded for – I mean, let's call it a uh, a cheesesteak short of 4,000 yards uh, <laughs> and 33 touchdowns to 10 interceptions. Like, just reshaped the perception uh, about him. There were some injuries that came after that maybe derailed uh, a more promising NFL career. But, you know, he hung around for a while and made it, I think, at least on one of my fantasy teams. Um, but, you know, again, you just look at that, right? Like, look at the type of player that is. That's, that's Palmer is a 6'5", 235 NFL style guy. That's probably why he went number one, but he couldn't run, couldn't do anything. So Sark built his offense on a, on a heavy running game and, and, you know, play action and, and maximize what Carson could do with the deep ball. And they did it to great success. So when they got the next guy up, well, Matt Leiner didn't have as much of an arm. He was equally is not mobile. Um, but you know, he just went ahead and, and Matt Leiner, who was not a big recruit was not a really well-known guy get, you know, 38 touchdown to uh, nine interception with almost 3,600 yards, about 10 yards in attempt that season, uh, out of nowhere. Right. So then you say, Oh, wait a minute. Maybe it wasn't just Carson Palmer. Maybe there's something you see with Matt Leiner. And with both of them, you saw a guy who was, even though he didn't have the arm, he was accurate and could get it out of his hand. I think that was Leinert's strength. And, and they used a pro style play action offense. And that really kind of worked for those first two. And those are two of the most famous, you know, quarterbacks names and um, kind of er- probably the most famous era of, of USC football in modernity. Right. And, and that was built on the back of Sark's offense. There's no question that that Matt Leiner was the best quarterback in the country or the best passer in the country, we can say, for two years running, mm-hmm. which is wild to think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can't say the best quarterback because, well, he did play against one Vincent Young that's in the right. Rose Bowl and improved that beyond a shadow of a doubt. But I think the the one that's the most impressive to me is we think about it. Like, Mac Jones signed up to be Tua's backup, for yep. lack of a better term. Like, Mac Jones was not a guy who was going to be an NFL guy. That's just not who Mac Jones was. And, and that's not – like, that's not a – slight to anybody that should be shocking to anybody that's followed NCAA football for a long time. Mac Jones was a program guy made good. That's really what it is. And he turned in a one year, he turned Mac Jones into a uh, stopgap from a stopgap quarterback to a guy that the Patriots drafted in the first round And the Patriots. Uh, they don't make bad draft picks. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but the new England Patriots for the better part of my adult life have not made a bad draft pick, or at least what most people would consider a bad draft pick. They don't make reaches. They take sure things. And so that was the biggest, in my opinion, cosign of Sark's ability to develop a quarterback is like, that's not a that's not a a it's not a franchise that's going to be bullied by a run of quarterbacks into making a bad pick, they're making a panic pick. That's just not what they do. That's not who they are. And so that signature there was huge. And let's the, let's just put it out there on the table. He got Casey Thompson paid in, in mm-hmm. Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Like we'll just go and put it out there. Like Casey Thompson, there's a reason why Casey had to battle it out again as an upperclassman with a redshirt freshman in his year. And that was what got Casey paid. And, and mm-hmm. you and I are Casey Thompson fans. Like, well, I were Casey Thompson fans. He's uh, made a little bit of a heel turn yeah. since he left, which I don't always blame him because Texas fans weren't always the nicest to him. Uh, but that being said, like part of it is his ability. Like, 
he was an upgrade for Nebraska. And part of that is the work that he did with Steve Sarkeesian in Austin. And we, we can't really doubt that or slight that in any way. If you forgot how good Mac Jones was that year, 4,500 yards, 41 to four touchdown to interception ratio averaged over 11 yards per attempt, not completion per attempt, just stupid. Like he threw the ball and it was the first down at least every time really good um but that that shows it, you it didn't hurt who was passing it to by the no way. and and, and but, but i but i think that's that that is the secret right sark has made no secret about it he comes in and prioritizes the playmakers like get me ferraris get me i guess in this case we need to be on brand lamborghinis um <laughs> thank you Bijan and, and lamborghini of austin please feel free to sponsor one fifty special forces by the sure all bring all the sponsorships here to this podcast as well um but you know like that that's the thing right i think sark None of those guys, except Jake Locker, who's probably the one who succeeded the most in spite of Sark, because he couldn't really do anything that a typical Sark... Jake Locker couldn't even make reads against the bad Pac-12 defense. Like, (laughs) he was not a great college quarterback, but he had tools. I get it. Um, But, like... Sark wants his quarterback to enable creators, not to necessarily be creators, right? Like, I, I think that was where last year's conversation about when Thompson and Card could run and shouldn't run, and I think it's because they wanted them to facilitate the offense, get it into the guy's hands, get it to Xavier Worthy, let him run, get it to Jordan Whittington when he was healthy, right? But Sark wants more. Give me more. Give me more. Give me those guys. Give me Juju Smith-Schusters. Give me those, you know, USC wide receivers. Give me the Alabama wide receivers. Like, give me those guys. He's always been a great quarterback coach, and if you just listen to him, and I think that's what Mac Jones does, just listen and do exactly what he tells you. It can be really successful, but you also have to be able to do that, right? You have to be able to have the feel in the pocket to get it out quick not take sacks right you don't have to have the best line if you're getting it out quick um, and your receivers can get open right but feel it get it out quick let your creators create just be accurate be quick be precise if you have the big you know uh, big game 40 50 60 yard throw in the bag that just is another element that's even even better but he could do it with a couple different guys because he did find success from a one-win team with Jake Locker as his quarterback. Like, I don't want to be too harsh. And and Keith Price was – Case McCoy Scott, like, blushes at the amount of talent that Keith <laughs> Price has and made it as an undrafted free agent. The fact that he played – or didn't play, but made an NFL roster. He was not anywhere near an NFL quarterback, but he did more of the things that Sark wanted than Locker. Like, right, he bought in and was a pure system guy, and that at least got you – to the league, even with a talent deficit, but he could cover up some warts, right? All those guys, Mark Sanchez, the butt fumble, the, the ability to like make some misreads you saw, Matt Liner not having the arm strength, Tua, you're seeing injuries have probably done more of that, some struggles at the NFL level. Like he's covered up some of those warts if they just are able to do the things that he wants and, and they have competitiveness, accuracy, some moxie, you know, a little bit of heart back there and, and just that feel, right? He talks about that a lot. The quarterback needs to have feel. He needs to feel the game. He needs to know the read, kind of feel the tempo, feel what's going on. Like, see the defense. Like, if you have feel, if you understand it, then Sark can do a lot. And so, look, I, am I going to go out on a limb and say that both Card and Ewers are in the top three arm, maybe top five at least arm talent when you just talked about six first-round picks? Yeah, they, they both have – that right they have the arm to do it it's all about what's up top and will they listen to sark will they buy in like his schemes are evolving every year that's why he's still on the cutting edge that's why he's still you know is the hottest name at a at a coaching clinic right he's, it's not as though he does the same thing as he did in 2001 but as he's evolving it can you keep up with him can you do what he wants to do to stay a step ahead of what defenses are trying to do to stop you we will see this year we will again and we don't know who's going to be the quarterback the jury's still out on who's going to be taking the snaps come fall i think uh, there are smart people and smart conjectures being made but when push comes to shove sark hasn't named a starter yet and so i think either way when you 
think about it, like, yes, Quinn Ewers is this transcendent talent, and he's, what, the second highest rated quarterback of all time uh, in modern 247 rankings, right? But Hudson Card was like a top 50 guy coming in. So Sark's got tools to work with. And I think this is going to be potentially the truest test of what he can do as a quarterback developer and as a schemer, because one, there are still questions about what Kyle Flood's unit is going to be and what it's going to look like. And if he can put either of these guys in a position to get the ball out of their hands quickly and into Xavier Worthy's hands and into Isaiah Nair's hands and into Ajay Hall's hands and into Jordan Whittington's hands and into Bijan Robinson's hands. And I did that on purpose because there are a lot of Ferraris in the garage at this point, but does Texas have the offensive line to get the cars out of the garage? Yeah, and, and that's a that's a great point. I want to draw an analogy, Gerald, a little bit because it's not perfect. The, the, there's a little bit of flip flop in, in maybe who the two players are, but 07-08, he had John David Booty was his quarterback, and John David Booty was the Quinn Ewers at a high school, right? Like he is the cautionary tale for for Quinn, right? He was five star, all everything, like one of the most heralded recruits of all time. Maybe he's the arch maiden because he's out of Louisiana. But um, <laughs> the, the Booty family was also a, a bit renowned, not Manning renowned, but renowned. Um, and, and J.D. Booty, beside being one of the most ridiculous just names in human history, was one of the most ridiculously hyped prospects. And here's here's the thing, right? Like when you saw last year, Sark wasn't afraid to pull the trigger. If a quarterback wasn't working, he, he you know, whether it was – whether it was Card or whether it was Thompson, like he was okay to let other guys. And I, and I think you, you look a little bit about what happened there, right? You couldn't not play Booty. And, and look, he, he wasn't that bad, right? They just, USC's expectations were astronomical at that, but he just didn't have what people thought. It seems kind of absolutely that his recruiting in high school ranking was the early adoption of the spread offense and being ahead of everybody else and being able to do it. Then the college kind of caught up to him a little bit. But anyways, I mean, Booty was the biggest recruit of all time. And and here Sark is as a young quarterback coach coordinator, and he made the, he made the decision. He pulled him eventually. I think his second year, um, his senior year, second year starting for Mark Sanchez, and Mark Sanchez kind of came out of nowhere and and you know make your butt fumble jokes, but had a great great college career into a you know decent start to a pro career. Made a lot of money off Steve Sarkeesian trusting him, buying in just just his system basically throwing a nice play action pass, getting it to the right guy, making the easy reads. And, and uh, like we have two quarterbacks right now in yours and card and they could both play. Sark is, is not going to be loyal just to the guy with the bigger name on his shirt or the guy with the, with the higher class as we saw last year as well uh, next to it. And, and again, we, we have one year of data, but we're still early on in the Sark project and a lot of pieces and parts have changed and it may be too early to know really anything from his Texas experience. So we're still relying on previous, but we know that he will make the bold decision personnel wise. And, and you know, that does kind of excite me when we talk about the two quarterbacks we have, when there are two good options, I think ultimately the guy who's going to be taking the snaps and throwing the football is going to be the guy who is best prepared at that moment to lead the team to success because Sark wants to win. And I think more than anything that really speaks to the the ability and the capability of Sark to get guys where they need to go. Carson Palmer, Heisman, Matt Leinart, Heisman, Tua would have won a Heisman if he hadn't uh, gotten hurt. Like That to me, and again, there's the knock of what do these guys do in the pros? While I want to see these quarterbacks find success at the next level, if Texas has a quarterback winning the Heisman, the Texas is probably in the position 
at which we want Texas to be at. And that, above anything else, is probably my top priority in this conversation. Mac Jones had his Heisman stolen by his receiver. Again, a good good problem for your <laughs> offensive coordinator to have. And, and look, as the, as the whisperings come of the future of, of Arch, uh, there was a... It's a reminder that sometimes the people who, who nibble at your heels truly are down there much beneath you. But Texas Tech was trying to take... <laughs> Uh, Twitter was trying to take shots at a early projection for Arch to Texas. Basically, to treat that as a shot at you is not understanding, A, how it feels to get a five-star player, but you, you want multiple of them, especially at that position. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. I think, again, if everything goes according to this master plan, one of the quarterbacks wins out this year. You have the pipeline full. Guys are going to play. Guys are going to get to the NFL. Like you said, Heisman's can be in the conversation. I'm not here predicting uh, an instant Heisman winner, but guys can be back on awards finalists, you know, getting invited to the green room, playing in the big games. Like that is the goal. And this is how you get there, right? It's This is the modern offense. The line is so important. The guys who catch the ball, you saw that at Alabama, unbelievably important. Your defense being able to keep up with the offense, incredibly important. But this is still a quarterback game. The era that we are in, this is a quarterback game. And Texas though five and seven is utterly unacceptable, is still blessed with the best quarterback coach. And so we'll see. Again, there's a long time until we even know who's the starting quarterback, and then there's an even a few weeks after that till we see them on the field for the first time. But as it stands right now, Texas has an opportunity to change the narrative, and I think it starts with whoever's taking snaps in the fall. All right, Gerald, let's take a look now at the world through some burnt orange lenses. Start with uh, some new arrivals to the 40 Acres. Men's basketball signed their fourth member of the 2022 signing class, Alex uh, Anamekwe, um, out of McKinney uh, High School, is uh, joining Arterio Morris, Dylan Mitchell, and Rowan Brumbaugh. Um, the, now that they have four members in it, I've seen that anywhere from 11 to number six, on which site you're looking at, but basically a top 10 class with a lot of top end upside um, but they add in uh, I think a really interesting and really good piece I think you're going to see double A as I'm going to call him he's already got his nickname um, be a guy who's here for a while who develops who plays a lot of defense he's a defensive specialist even in high school was a you know I think three time all the district uh, defensive player of the year so he's going to be a, a defender first who can do a lot of things he's six sick with some length he can block shots steal um i think it's i think it's a good addition he's listed as a power forward might be a a three guard beard seems to love that kind of tweener position guy um so it'll be interesting how he gels with this roster and if there's anyone else but uh, i think a good addition good long-term prospect he's a he's a chris beard guy i think is what what it comes down to it he's a guy who can uh, play defense. He's going to get you, and I mean this, I don't mean that he's going to get you some dirty minutes defensively. <laughs> he's a guy who's going to um, be able to guard anybody. He's not going to get confused by a switch on, on the defensive side of things. He's going to add some size down low. It's not, not bad to have a six, six guy playing defense uh, in your second unit rotation. And he just happens to be the uh, teammate of a five-star guard in the next class. Yeah. Jacoby Walters has visited Texas a couple times, officially and unofficially. They both came on a visit. So that, that definitely helps he's number 17 right now and next in the class of 2023 uh 247 ranking so good to get in and uh maybe get get a head start on that one but a guy who really likes texas um just to you know would be a great one too uh but look again not to get ahead of ourselves i think double a here is a solid player in his own right he was ranked by 247 composites the number 15 player this year in the state of texas and it, to get him at this stage right he's considered one of the probably 
10, 12 best players still left when, when he signed with Texas um, because most players are signed at this point, right? It, he was released from his NLI at SMU after coach Tim Jankovic uh, retired. So he was back basically on, on the market. Um, so a late get for Texas to make the fourth member of the class. And I think a nice, uh, a nice way to round it out. All right. Speaking of rounding it out nicely, uh, softballs, Janae Jefferson and Queen Mary Iacopo uh, were selected in the athletes, unlimited draft uh jefferson was the fourth pick iacopo the 12th pick texas the only school in the country that includes ou suck it sooners um (laughs) to have multiple draftees they had 13 picks out of the college game obviously again like cat osterman you have professional players who can who can be drafted as well Um, but out of the 13 college players selected texas had two of them cat osterman had a great career with them in like the the third iteration of her career and they are it's fun to if you've never had an opportunity to watch some of their live streams it's fun to watch and i like the way that they do like the player-led drafts and all of that it's a good time but uh their third professional season will be kicking off in july and we'll obviously try to keep up with that as best we can love it yeah they they individual winners right it's not you don't get drafted to a team that wins they have a yep. individual point Scoring system, Cat Osterman won the, the, the first season. So two, Cat uh, Osterman and Longhorn Legend, two other Longhorn Legends were inducted uh, into the Texas High School Football Hall of Fame. Defensive end Tony Brackens and uh, a little quarterback named Colt McCoy were inducted into the class of 2022 Texas High School Football Hall of Fame. My favorite part about both of these, Gerald, is that um, the big school here is Fairfield. <laughs> A 3A school uh, for Brackens. Of course, Colt came from 2A, Jim Ned. You just kind of love to see it, right? We always hear about the guys from uh, South Lake Carroll and Westlake and Lake Travis and Duncanville and the, the biggest schools, but I love these Texas legends from the little guys as well. I mean, you've got two of the potential, like, best small school players of, of – all time I think in Texas football history there's probably mm. somebody listening to this that knows somebody yep. else that that um, <laughs> has done it but when you think about you know Brackens he was one of the 100 greatest players in Texas high school football history according to Dave Campbell uh, and they know a little little thing or two about Texas football Colt McCoy was the uh, 2A offensive MVP and was all state like um, and the craziest thing to me, and, and I, I always like to talk about this with Colt McCoy, like Colt McCoy was recruited obviously by Mac Brown, but like he was also supposed to be in a class with a five-star quarterback. And so like the expectations mm-hmm. for him were not to be what he ended up being at Texas. And so obviously they got in, they're, they're in the high school football hall of fame for their high school football feats. But like the unlikely story of the kid from Tuscola uh, coming in and having to step in, a five-star shoes and, and, and was knocking not just once, but twice on the door of a national championship. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. But do you know who his dad was roommate? <laughs> You're right. It is incredible. Like I, 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 yeah, Colt is one of the greatest stories, but you know what he was and is, and continues to be as a winner, right? Like he retired college as the winningest quarterback in college history. A, a, a silly ginger from Fort Worth ultimately broke that, which breaks my heart, but he was 34 and two, as a starting quarterback in high school, like the guy just wins. Like they put him in an NFL games. He just wins. That's what Colt does. He doesn't, he doesn't lose. And I love it. Um, but Gerald, I have a bit of trivia for you. As Colt McCoy is about to start his 13th NFL season. He is the, uh, in second place for most uh, NFL seasons played by a UT quarterback. Do you know who number one is? Ooh, that is a tough one. Um, the answer 
is Bobby Lane, a quarterback wearing a running back's number, number 22, played 15 seasons uh, in the NFL. So Colt, you know, the way he's conserving his, uh, his, his steps, he's got, he's got another 12 years in him. So uh, he'll probably break that, but no, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible that, that Colt is his contemporary and longest time played in the NFL as a guy who played closer to the, the 1900 than the, the 2000, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's a testament to Colt and what he's done. And, you know, no, no slub Mr. Brackens himself either, who uh, was a pro bowler, still the Jacksonville Jaguars all time sack leader too. Longhorn legends. Keeping it football, Gerald. Uh, a couple Texas transfers had a landing spot. We did the portal kind of recap uh, a couple weeks ago and looked at who'd been in there a long time, who had just recently entered. Um, and we had some answers to a couple of those uh, in, in the answer to the question, uh, what is SMU? Um, if you're doing it Jeopardy style. Uh, it, that is where it's historically been a soft landing spot for Texas transfers. But that is where a couple former Longhorns will be uh, playing their college ball, Chris Adamora, uh, David Ibiara, and Kilvante Mucci Dixon will all be heading that way. I would say to join Josh Moore, but it's been some reports this week that Moore will not be likely playing uh, at SMU. But uh, the, the the pipeline, I guess, Gerald continues uh, up north. A long tradition started by Garrett Gilbert, uh, I think, <laughs> is probably the first the first big notable one to end up at SMU. But then our boy Shane Bouchelle ended up in 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 Dallas as well. It kind of was he was on the front end of this like SMU reemergence, and so mm-hmm. Texas is becoming a bit of a farm team for the SMU uh, ponies. And I'll, I will watch these guys in those all white Dallas kits and be and be fine with it. Very cool. Like I hate to say it, but one of the coolest uniforms just maybe the coolest outright in the country. But yeah, you're, you're right. Any tradition started by Garrett Gilbert is a good one. Um, <laughs> let's keep it rolling uh, football-wise. Interesting note. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this one. It popped up on the feed, and I was, uh, I was just curious by it. I'd like to see Sark using the resources. The, you got the war chest, use it. Um, Texas football added an interesting piece in the personnel and, and kind of scouting role, both self-scouting and opponent scouting um, and player scouting, I believe, as well. Adding longtime NFL scout and recent CFL scout Bobby Merritt. Um, about a dozen years in, in NFL uh, lead scout roles. He was the guy who told the Texans, uh, hey, J.J. Watt is probably you know a guy you can build your defense around. So that seems like a pretty pretty good grade, but it seemed to work out. The NCAA has recently taken the cap off of the number of staff positions you have. It, Bobby Merritt's a guy who's got like you said, an eye for talent, but he's also got, you know, several years in the pros. He's a guy who uh, has SEC recruiting experience. And so he's, he brings a lot of different things to the staff and, you know, your football staffs are going to look a lot different and your, your head coach is going to have to be more of the CEO type. And so you bring in a guy like Merritt to be your CHRO for lack of a better term, like your, your <laughs> chief human resources person where he's helping um, scout new talent and help create the roster and, and kind of massage all of those things, which are needed in this current kind of new world of college football. Yeah. And if they need an excellent uh, HR consultant, I, I know one <laughs> it's Gerald. Gerald is the answer. Speaking of uh, some, some interesting staff changes, uh, Texas volleyball adds David hunt as an associate head coach, uh, moving Jordan Larson, Jordan Larson, who joined earlier this off season to a volunteer assistant role. Uh, hunt is a, uh, a head coach in the men's volleyball world, one of the kind of hot names up and coming, uh, has been at Pepperdine for the past uh, five seasons as the head coach there. Uh, multiple 
experience at different levels of both men's and women's USA national team. Um, so just a, a, a hot name in the volleyball community. It's a good coaching staff that just gets better. You know, he has, this is a, you know, Texas has needed to get over the hump for lack of a better term, mm. but adding another head coach, this is like, this is almost the Nick Saban model of coach. Just like what's, who's a, who's a head coach out there that we can add to our staff and, and level things up. And so he was the uh, Pepperdine head coach and Pepperdine, uh, pretty decent at, at volleyball, not to mention um, the U S national team. That's right. Yeah. And he was an assistant there first where he was a American volleyball coaches association 30 under 33 times and then became the the head coach where he's led him to three straight tournament uh appearances a lot of all americans through there so he's done his thing like i said at the u.s level as well and oh by the way is also jordan larson's husband (laughs) so uh, he wanted to move to austin when she got the job and she also decided that she's not quite done playing professionally so she's still going to try she's remaining on staff but is going to try to continue to play a little bit as well and then there will be uh, a spot for her uh on this staff but uh you know if, if you have to take uh, a leave who better than your also incredibly well resumed husband to to fill in and and hold the clipboard so very cool uh that was just like that story the way the the detail was buried very late that uh oh that's also jordan larson's husband <laughs> anyways keeping it on people spending some time on the 40 acres ut's women diving the elder statesmen they have a lot of young talent on the women's swimming and diving team but uh, paula pineda announced she will return for her super senior season say that one five times fast uh, utilizing her covid exemption she's been five-time all-american in multiple dives over the past few years um just a a great addition to keep as the young talent gets older and three more big recruits in the pipeline so good to have the elder states women all right, so just a quick for your viewing as you're listening to this on Thursday. Though baseball is on a bye this weekend, uh, there are a trio of number ones going for conference crowns this weekend that you should be taking a gander at. Number one and number one track compete in the Big 12 <laughs> Outdoor Championships this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then number one, Texas Rowing competes at the Big 12 Championship on Sunday, so a chance for you know, let's call it three more titles and uh, an updating of the uh, Directors Cup metric. There's an opportunity for Texas to continue bolster, we'll say, its its resume and and for the Directors Cup, and I think the track teams and the the rowing team are the the best options that are out there. So let's uh, let's keep it keep it up. All right, Joe, let's keep it up. In fact, let's wrap it up with a little section called Godzilla Tron. What are you watching on your giant screen, Gerald? Uh, so a super giant screen this week. My wife and I made it out to the movie theater to watch Doctor Strange nice. in the Multiverse of Madness. So that was fun. My wife did not enjoy it. Like she's my gauge of what regular people would enjoy. She did not enjoy it. She also uh, doesn't like horror movies, and that was the thing with this one. Is like Sam Raimi came in and made a Sam Raimi horror movie in the mm. MCU, and so it's not the best MCU movie, but it's not the worst MCU movie. It's kind of like it's like a seven out of ten, maybe like. A six and a half ish out of ten it's good not great but i was entertained for a couple of hours uh i have like everything i have to share specifically about the movie would be spoilers for it so i'm not going to do that here in case you haven't seen it but um shoot me a dm if you have questions i've got specific issues with it but also uh, i'm seeing the threads of what they're trying to do with the mcu moving forward and i uh i like it uh but the other thing my wife and i watched on kind of the complete opposite end of the spectrum uh last year 2021 uh there was a uh a docu 
documentary made about Julia Child, just simply called Julia. Uh, so if you don't know who Julia Child is, she was kind of like the first celebrity chef in the United States. Uh, and if you're a person that likes to watch like cooking shows, you watch Top Chef, or you're into like the culinary scene in the United, or you're a foodie in the U.S., like Julia Child is kind of. Uh, the person you can thank for all of that. She's a classically French-trained chef who lived in France and wrote uh, a cookbook just called, like, Mastering French Cuisine in America, essentially, like, what it was about. Uh, and so it was a very technical cookbook. It, it wasn't supposed to take off the way it did. And so it takes you through kind of her, like, childhood journey, moving to France. She she was uh, enlisted in World War II. But it takes you through all that up through her uh, later years. She was a famous chef on PBS for a long time and did Good Morning America for a while and she was very uh, socially and politically active toward the end of her life which is uh, great to see but just it's a really well made documentary um, it's fun it's light it's not a hard watch but uh, a very interesting person and if you're into like cooking and food I would definitely recommend it very interesting I love that Julie Child's OG you wouldn't have no Tony Bourdain if not for Julia Child um, I'm, I was trying to think when the last movie I actually saw in a theater was Gerald and, and I I don't have it. I'll come next week prepared with it because I, I honestly, I think it was pre-pandemic, and even then I don't know what it was. So good on you for keeping uh, the AMC stock booming. I don't have brand new recommendations to give folks. I just have uh, been plowing through. I'm now in the penultimate Better Call Saul season, about halfway through. I think I'm episode five of season five. And man, this show just like is a slow burn that keeps building and getting better. And by season four and five, this is a dang good show, like a, a a wickedly good show, like far too good for what it should be. Like, it is great. I don't know if I've given it this strong of a recommendation yet in my, I think this is the third time I've talked about it on this pod, but if you've listened to the other two and been lukewarm, forget those. Listen to this one. It's <laughs> great. Like, it's really good. 99% as good as Breaking Bad, which I think Breaking Bad is, is uh, great. I think it actually has more, like, nuance uh and slightly less problematic treatment of women um but i uh i i really like it i think it's great and we are also watching downton abbey and we're just you know we're, we're trudging through as you would in a nice english show just just nice and polite and delicate and, and sweet and slow and making our way through when we can and that's all we've got for you this week kyle where can the good folks find you on the internet oh you can follow me on twitter at kyle Corbin. you can also follow the texas pregamer at texas pregamer you can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook em. Hook em. And the Booty family is still booty for not coming on this podcast. Mm-hmm.